Would you say that you and your sister had a uh, sibling rivalry while you were growing up? Um, I would say that probably not. Mostly because I was just always better than she was. Oh, I really hope that she doesn't hear this. <laughs> She'll have a lot to say. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I truly feel that way. So, um, I don't really feel like there was really any competition at any point. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Love you if you're listening. I have to say that there definitely was between my sisters and I, most notably, probably my, uh, the, my sister. So I'm the oldest. I have two younger sisters. So me and the middle sister, Blake, one time I convinced her to run away. (laughs) That's how bad it got. I like helped her pack, convinced her that it was a good idea. Mm -hmm. We picked a spot for her to run away to. Unfortunately, it wasn't far enough away from the house and my dad just yelled her name and she came back so (laughs) that's awesome that was the end of that yeah welcome to america the bazaar i'm your host jordan roush i'm your co-host jeremy this is a weekly podcast where we dive into all of the bizarre stories that made america into the beautiful weirdo she is today So to just get right into this week's episode, you ready? You don't look like you're ready. I'm ready. In 1824, Robert Hunter, a businessman from Scotland, made his way to Siam to establish trade relations with King Rama III. Siam? It's what present-day Thailand is. Oh. Yeah. Did you never watch The King and I? No? You were in a movie oh, with the king? Oh, man. <laughs> no, it was like an old movie. It's really good. We're going to watch it. I wa- I would go and watch that. My sisters and I would watch it at my great-grandparents' house. We loved it. Nice. Hunter had brought a thousand muskets as a gift for King Rama and was rewarded with a house honorary title, and with being an established trade partner with Siam. So that's what happens when you bring a bunch of guns. Get to be a... You get to be a VIP. Royalty. That Royal au- treatment. Yeah. That August, Hunter was making his way along the Meklong River on his boat, the Friends. That's what his boat's name was. Nice. The Meklong River was filled with boathouses that made up a floating market. You could buy dried fish... Vegetables, fruits, household items, and even and whatever you wanted, basically, at the market. Mm-hmm. Whatever you needed. When the sun began to set on the river, lanterns and torches would appear on the front of the floating houses, which allowed enough light for Hunter to see while navigating his boat. While standing on the gunwale of his boat, Hunter could see a large creature swimming in the river that had two heads, four arms, and four legs. What? When Hunter got closer, he discovered that the creature was actually two teenage boys that were connected at the waist. <laughs> what? Yeah. The Siamese twins? Yep. Oh my gosh. Robert Hunter approached the conjoined twins and asked them all sorts of questions about their lives, their family, la-da-da. Their names were In and Chun, and they lived with their widowed mother and sold ducks and duck eggs at the market. They were only connected by a four-inch long band of flesh at the bottom of their chest, and they shared one belly button. 
So if you put your hands down like your chest bone, and right at the bottom of your chest bone, like right below it, that's... Below your sternum? Below your sternum, yes. That's where they were connected. By about four inches, like, long of flesh. So they're, like, facing each other. Yeah. That's the worst type. Inconvenient? (laughs) Yeah. You're just constantly facing your brother. I don't know. I feel like that's... It seems inconvenient, but I've also seen, like, you see other conjoined twins, and some are, like, conjoined at the top of the head, and that seems even more inconvenient. Well, yeah. (laughs) Being a conjoined twin is just not convenient for anybody, no matter where you're attached. Exactly. (laughs) I could barely be attached to my my sister, and that's just by name. Uh (laughs) Aha! So the boys had actually had fairly normal childhoods, considering. Hmm. Uh, They had a lot of freedom to just run around the village to play and swim. They learned how to walk. They learned how to swim. They basically were just allowed to be kids. They did what kids do. I mean. Yeah. So they were 12 when Robert Hunter found them. (laughs) Okay. They were just. They were playing. They sold duck eggs at the market. Just your average Siam. Just your average Siamese kid. Uh, Is that where this comes from? What? I didn't even realize I said that earlier. Oh, Siamese twins? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It is. Crazy. Uh, Apparently I had a little bit of foreshadowing and didn't even know it. It's called called context clues, children. Um, so, a little random fact about conjoined twins. There is uh, about 1 in 200,000 births today produce conjoined twins. With 50 I of, feel like that's a lot. It, it seems like a lot. Unfortunately, 50 of, 50% of those births are still birth, are stillborn births. Oh. And then... So, really, 1 in 400,000. Kind of, yeah. And then... 33% of conjoined twins that are born alive end up dying within 24 hours. Mm. And that's by today's standards. That's crazy. And so just think about the odds that these guys came through in being in, born in, in 1824 in or 1811. In and Chun? In and Chun. Uh, Chun. Chun. It's the G is silent? There is, it's C-H-U-N. <laughs> I-N for in... And Chun, C-H-U-N. Sorry, they said Chung the first no. time, so. <laughs> it's this lovely stuffed up no- nose I have. Sorry for everybody. We have a toddler. He coughs in my mouth. And then I get <laughs> his cold. And then I end up recording with a stuffed up nose. <laughs> and I sound like this. Someday, you will <laughs> I'll, not be, I'll be sick normal. Again. Yeah, one day I'll, I won't be sick. But until then, I have this really cool nasally thing happening. So, Robert Hunter promised the boys that he would return. Just, you know, a few days later. When Hunter did return, he convinced the twins and their mother to let him take them on a tour of Europe and America. He offered to show the twins the world and offered their mother a large sum of money and to return the twins safely back home after the tour was over. Hunter then approached King Rama III to ask permission to take the twins out of Siam. Because... During this time, and especially in Siam, the king owned everything and everyone. The people were his his property property as well. So Hunter had to get permission from the king to take them. It's like adoption laws. Yeah. 
Kind of. So the king declined Hunter's request, but Hunter refused to give up on taking the twins. He snuck them out of there. No, not quite. Oh. In late 1828 and early 1829, there was a rebellion in Laos that King Rama was trying to squash. And luckily for Rama, an American named Abel Coffin showed up just in time to sell him muskets. After the rebellion was ended and the rebel leader was captured, King Rama invited Coffin to come watch the rebel leader be tortured. Just a casual hangout. Just a good old-fashioned torture. Torture and chill. Yeah. Coffin and King Rama became friends during this time. Knowing this, Hunter proposed to Coffin that if Coffin could convince the king to let the twins out of Siam, they could be business partners in exploiting the twins. Nice. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't like, let's exploit them, but... Yeah, pretty much. Base, essentially, yeah, that's he what was he like, was proposing. This is a business plan. Yeah. Circus, the twins, you and me business yeah. partners. Hear me out. Yeah. Coffin asked King Rama to let the twins leave Siam, and the king agreed this time. Apparently he liked Coffin way better than he liked Hunter. Yeah, he just literally, you know, tortured and chilled with him, like you were saying. It really brings people together. It does. Builds bonds. Lasts forever. <laughs> BFFs. <laughs> yeah. Hunter and Coffin gave the twins' mother $500 promised to bring them back in five years, and allowed for the family's neighbor to travel with the twins as a friend and caretaker. The twins, who were now 18, signed a contract with Hunter and Coffin on April 1st, 1829, so April Fool's Day, 1829, Yeah, kind of a cruel joke, that read, We agree to engage ourselves with our own free will and consent, also that we have the free will and consent of our parents and the king of our country to go with Captain Abel Coffin to America and Europe and remain with him wherever he chooses until the expiration of the time agreed upon between Captain Coffin and the government of our country, and that he, according to promise, will return us to our parents and friends any time within five years, and that Captain Coffin will allow us from his profits ten Spanish per month and pay all our expenses, and nothing is to be deducted from the money allowed our mother. So they signed the contract. This is where it is believed that their names changed from In and Chun to Ang and Chang. Just because of how they signed their names. And it was like they signed it in Mandarin Chinese symbols. And like the Anglo-Saxon pronunciation of those symbols Mm -hmm. was Ang and Chang. So now they also got the last name Bunker. So now they're Ang and Chang Bunker. And that's how I will refer to them for the rest of the story. Nice. All Um, of that to tell us their names. Yep. And that (laughs) is the end of the story. (laughs) Stay weird. Just kidding. There's a lot more. After signing the contract, the boys grabbed the little luggage they had along with their pet python and said goodbye to their mother. They boarded a double-decked, three-masted ship named Sachem and headed off towards the west. The voyage from Siam to Boston took 138 days. During the four and a half months aboard the ship, Aang and Chang learned how to climb the mast, which they said usually just one would climb the mast like on top and then the other would try to follow. I don't know. It sounds very complicated and hard to do with two people Hmm. attached to each other. Uh, They learned how to climb the mast, play chess, speak English, and do a backflip. Nice. When the Sachem docked in Boston Harbor, 
Captain Abel only declared two other passengers on board, Robert Hunter and Teen, the twins' neighbor from Siam. The twins were hidden under a tarp and smuggled into Boston in a carriage. Hmm. However, Super sneaky. Yeah, so they didn't know if he didn't declare them because he thought of them as like slaves or servants, yeah. weren't actually people, or if he was just trying to avoid. avoid people knowing about them until he was ready to... Reveal them. Exactly. A big reveal. Yeah. So they snuck him into Boston, but Hunter and Abel did allow for a reporter to come see the twins. And the next day, the Boston Patriot read an article about them that read, The Satchem, arrived at this port yesterday, has on board two Siamese youths, males, 18 years of age, their bodies connected from their birth. They appear to be in good health and apparently contented with their confined situation. We have seen and examined this strange freak of nature. It is one of the greatest living curiosities we ever saw. The two boys are about five feet in height, of well-proportioned frames, strong and active, good-natured, and of pleasant countenances, and withal intelligent and sensible, exhibiting the appearance of two well-made Siamese youths, with the exception that by a substance apparently bony or cartilaginous, about seven inches in circumference and four in length, proceeding from the umbilical region. Huh. Kind of a very scientific, like, matter-of-fact article. Yeah. But... Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. Several doctors also came to examine the twins. Dr. John Collins Warren was the first dean at Harvard Medical School and, and the founding member of the Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Warren examined the twins several times and published two reports on them. So basically, the main reason for him to come examine them was to be like, this isn't fake. Yeah. This is real. Yeah. You know, like, kind of get the stamp birth. of approval when yeah. they are showing them to people. Yeah. We aren't trying to, you know, this yeah. isn't fraud. Yeah. This isn't makeup and costume. This right. Is... And he has, and this guy is a big deal in the medical community, yeah. obviously. So. He carries a lot of. A lot of weight. Lot yeah. Of clout. Yes. He spent a lot of time feeling the connecting bands between the twins and experimented with how much pain they could feel from the band. He would use a pin to prick the connecting band and found the spot where if he pricked it, both twins would tell him that it hurt. So hmm. apparently there was one spot where they could both feel it. Where they shared a shared nerve. Yeah. Nerve. And then if he went to either side, then only one twin would feel pain. Hmm. So that must have been fun for them. Yeah, just getting poked. Whole bunch. Dr. Warren also made observations about their personalities and intellect. Chang was more insightful, but had a bigger temper than Aang. After all of these examinations, the twins were ready to hit the road as the eighth wonder of the world. Nice. That's what they were billed as. Ah, exploitation. My favorite. I love a good story of exploitation. Don't we all? When the twins made it to America in 1829, Andrew Jackson had just been sworn in as the seventh president, and the country was busy building infrastructure from railroads to canals. After a long, hard day at work, most Americans were seeking out entertainment, and that usually included getting drunk while playing card games or watching a cockfight. There has even been a note found in President Andrew Jackson's things. I guess, President Andrew Jackson's... Uh, effects effects yeah stuff that read how to feed a cock before you have a fight 
take him and give him some pickled beef cut fine. Apparently that's what you're supposed to feed your cock before you set it into a fight. According to President Andrew Jackson. Huh. Freak shows started to become a popular area of entertainment as well. Martha Ann Honeywell was born without limbs, but she was put on display at the Peel Museum in New York, where people would watch her drink and do needlework. Huh. A monkey head and torso was sewn to the tail of a fish and was billed as the mummified Fiji mermaid. And eventually, P.T. Barnum got a hold of this Fiji mermaid and took it on tour with his circus and everything. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Chang and Aang made their debut in Boston. They would stand side by side with each one having an arm over the other twin's shoulder while people would look at them and they answered questions from the audience. Huh. They had a great sense of humor and were quick-witted. During one show, they saw a man in the audience that only had one eye. They told him that they would refund half of his admission fee because he was only seeing half of the show. (laughs) At another show, they noticed a legless man in the audience and offered a refund and a cigar to atone for the fact that they had four arms and legs between them. (laughs) So they're funny. Yeah, they love jokes. Yeah. So they were trying to do more than just be like something for people to gawk at. It's a stand-up comedy show. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. After Boston, they hit the road visiting large cities and small towns. They began to add new material to their show, so it wasn't just people coming in again to just gawk at them while they just stood there. They would do backflips, somersaults, they played badminton between each other, (laughs) and they would challenge audience members to play a game of chess against them. During one performance, they carried a 280-pound man around the exhibition hall, which was even more impressive, considering that the twins only weighed about 200 pounds total. Wow. And they were only like five feet tall, too. Just little guys. But they also had four legs to distribute that weight on. That's true. And, yeah, two pairs of shoulders. Yeah. The twins sparked interest in the philosophical community as well. Theologians pondered what would happen if one brother... Theologians? 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 That's not it. That's definitely not it. Uh, Maybe the Ellis. Anyways, those guys. The Ohians. <laughs> the G is a H sound. The I think it's a G sound. The Ohians. Uh, they pondered what would happen if one brother converted to Christianity while the other remained a Buddhist, and if both souls would be saved. One Boston journalist posed the question. What if one of them committed a crime? Would you indict two men as an individual? Dare you send Chang and his brother to jail when only Chang shall happen to break the peace? Or if Chang and Aang should fall out together, tell us, could Chang have his action for being assaulted by his other half, that is, by himself? So they're like, what if one of them beats up the other? Who goes to jail? They both go to jail? What happens? Because one beat up the other. What if one guy murders a person? Do they both have to go to jail? These are the important questions. They are the important questions. We need to know. Yeah. But unfortunately, the courts don't provide advisory opinions. (laughs) Because you must have adverse litigants upon which a claim could be relieved. That sounds like some smart lawyer talk. (laughs) So anyways, they're building up a reputation, 
They're causing people to ask big questions. Yep. They're, you know, they're kind of a think piece for America at the time. The two months after the twins arrived in America, the term Siamese twins was added to Noah Webster's second edition, an American dictionary of the English language. What? Siamese twins was described as a metaphor for inseparable unions. Aww. The twins were drawing in large... At least it wasn't something racist, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, it could have very well been. <laughs> I just feel like... Because it's America. And in the 1800s. 1800s. Yeah. So, I mean... Yay! <laughs> Yay, it wasn't racist! But we're exploiting... <laughs> yeah. It's still not group. great! Yeah. <laughs> Small wins. Small wins. Gotta take them when we can. The twins were drawing in large crowds and bringing in some serious cash. They could make up to $1,000 a week, which is about $24,000 today. What? Yeah. They better have been filthy rich when they went back to Siam. So basically, a lot of the times they would just be traveling around, um, and even if they had just stopped in a town for the night, they would invite people to come to their hotel room to just mm. come and talk and sit, and they would charge everybody like 25 cents, which is about $6 today, mm. and the rooms would be full. And so they're just raking it raking in. It in. Hoping to continue with the success that they found in America, Abel Coffin and Robert Hunter decided to continue the tour in Europe. On October 17, 1829, they all boarded a ship in New York City that was headed for England. Before leaving, though, Coffin took out a $10,000 life insurance policy on the twins in case they died during the trip. Coffin also packed molasses and mercuric chloride that could be used to embalm the twins in case they died, so that he would be able to continue to display them, dead or alive. Because nice. they would still be a big attraction, even if they were dead. Yeah. As long as he had their embalmed bodies. Yeah. Was there a conjoined twins at the bodies exhibit when we went in Massachusetts? I don't think so. I'm sensing a theme with Massachusetts, because here we are... <laughs> We're 200 years later in Massachusetts, and the bodies exhibit was at the Fennel Hall. Remember yep. that? Yeah, and I I think that was a pretty that was a pretty permanent exhibit exhibit there I th- for a while. I thought so. I mean, there was also the bo- there's the bodies exhibit that would travel, but yeah. I think there in Fennel Hall that was more of a was- permanent yeah. exhibit. Massachusetts, what's your weird obsession? <laughs> yeah. Get at me. Let me know. So, once they all got on the ship, the twins discovered that while Coffin had booked first-class tickets for himself, his wife Susan, and their manager James Hale, the twins and their friend Teen were forced to travel in steerage. The twins, What's that mean? They were had to, instead of being up at the top at first class, they had to ride on the ship way down below. So they basically, instead of having nice rooms, they had a cot... Instead of having nice meals at a dining table, they had to eat, like, salted beef. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Delicious. I love salted beef. That's not the point, Jeremy. (laughs) Get at me. Salted beef. So the twins took it up with Coffin because, I mean, they're the money makers. Yeah. They're the show. But Coffin just blamed the ship captain, saying that he had bought first-class tickets for all of them, but the cabins had been overbooked. But that was a lie. What a turd. They arrived in England in 1829 and toured through the major cities of the UK and Ireland for the next two years until they made their way back to the United States. 
In the summer of 1831, during a break between shows in Linfield, Massachusetts, the twins decided to go hunting. While they were out, a dozen local men came up to them and started to taunt them. The twins got angry and ended up hitting a man named Elbridge Gary with the butt of their gun. Gary then threw a big rock at one of the twins' heads. I don't know which twin, but it drew blood. So then the twins aimed their gun at Gary and fired. Luckily for Gary, the gun wasn't loaded, but it scared the local men enough that they all ran off. The next day, charges were pressed against the twins, and they were arrested for disturbing the peace. They were released after paying a $200 fine. Dang. Super steep fine. Yeah. So that'd be what? Four times? It's like... Dollars. It's 24. Times 200. So 4800 almost $5,000. That's a pretty big fine. Yeah. So then, while doing a show in Alabama, a surgeon in the audience asked to come up to the stage and perform an examination of their connecting bond. The twins refused to let him come examine them, so the surgeon yelled, You are all a set of imposters and pickpockets. Then other audience members started to throw objects at the twins. The twins were forced to pay a $350 fine for disturbing the peace. People just trying to get some money back out of these twins. Probably. I mean, they get poked and prodded all the time. I don't blame them for not wanting to be poked and prodded by just a rando in the audience. Yeah, no, absolutely. They put up with enough. But there's probably some, like, expectation that you're in a public show. You should probably let at least, like, a random member of the audience come up and... Poke you once or twice. I mean, each show, you know, just to like re-verify for that group of people. I don't think you know that saying? you should have to because uh, I do because you're a show and that's what you're advertising. Like, <laughs> if that's what the people want, yeah, but you're also human beings that don't want to be touched by random people. But if that's what the people want, then guess what? You are going to suffer, and your business is going to suffer on its validity because well, you don't sure, let I don't. People. I mean, yeah, your business might suffer, but that's a chance you have to take. I don't think you should be forced. I don't think you should have things thrown at you just because you don't want to be touched. In late 1831, Coffin boarded a ship for Asia while the twins were still touring the United States. He told them that he planned on returning by January 1832. January came and went, and the twins hadn't heard anything from Coffin. They were getting anxious for him to return because they were hoping to negotiate an end to their contract when they turned 21 in May of that year. When Coffin finally returned to America in July of 1832, he couldn't find Chang and Aang. He finally tracked them down in Bath, New York, where they informed him that he was no longer in charge of them or their show. So the twins are now... Free agents. Free agents, setting out on their own. Managing their own show, collecting all of their own money, keeping all of their own money. It's awesome. And no obligation to return them to Samia. Siam. (laughs) Siam. Between 1835 and 1836, the twins visited Western Europe to go sightsee and didn't perform at all. They were just there to enjoy vacation. They then returned to America in 1836 and continued their show, touring across America. In July of 1839, the twins were in Jefferson, North Carolina to perform. The Blue Ridge Mountains reminded them of the mountains in Siam. They decided it was time to retire. 
In October of 1839, they bought 150 acres near the town of Trap Hill in Wilkes County. The twins enjoyed hunting deer and catching trout and just soaking up the country life in North Carolina. Chang and Aang became friends with the elite citizens of Wilkes County, like the county sheriff, the superior court clerk, and postmaster. The superior court clerk administered the twins' oath of allegiance so that they could become naturalized American citizens, even though at the time there was a federal law that only allowed naturalized citizenship to free white persons. They were able to get their citizenship anyways. And that was kind of the thing with Chang and Aang at the time, so... They're rich. Mm-hmm. They've been doing their own show, managing themselves, and collecting all of the money. They have a lot of money mm-hmm. for the time. And they weren't white, but they were some of the first Asian Americans. And they weren't black either. So they were in this kind of weird limbo. Yeah. And so they kind of just were like, well, this says white only white people can do this, but we're just going to do it anyways and... Hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Chang and Aang spent their money on building an elegant house and decorating it lavishly. Being rich landlords in the South, Chang and Aang intended to become more like the other rich men in the area and turned their land into a plantation and bought several slaves. Nice. <laughs> this is where I'm like, oh, we were rooting for you. Yeah. We, you were supposed to be the good guys. Yeah. And now you're slave owners. Yeah. Like, they had this whole thing where they felt like they were slaves to Coffin and Hunter. And now they own slaves. So, boo. Not only did they buy slaves, they were slave traders. Uh Uh-oh. The twins would buy young slaves, raise them, and then sell them for a profit. Chang and Aang saw owning slaves as a way to position themselves as honorary whites. They ended up owning a total of 32 slaves. Jeez. In an 1840 profile in the Tennessee Mirror, the twins made it clear that they were ready to find some ladies and settle down. While attending a friend's wedding, Chang met Adelaide Yates and fell for her hard. Adelaide liked Chang too. Adelaide and Chang wanted to get married, but they didn't want Aang to be left out, so they decided to set him up with Adelaide's sister, Sarah. Except that Sarah didn't like Aang. The twins and Adelaide made a plan that they would have all the women from neighboring towns over to their house for a quilting party. While everyone was busy quilting, Aang flirted with Sarah, and eventually she gave in. So now that they had their ladies, Chang and Aang discussed being separated. You know, so they can... Go live their separate Go lives. Go live their separate lives with their ladies. Yeah. But Adelaide and Sarah were very against it. They didn't want to risk losing them if the surgery went bad. The choice was probably for the best because it was discovered that the twins shared a liver, which would have made the surgery more than likely fatal at the time. Totally would have been doable today. Today's standards. But back then, nah. Yeah. They would have more than likely died for sure. Because back then their technique would have been cut quickly and sewed fast. Yeah. And it probably, it probably would have gotten infected. And I mean, I'm not a 1800s... I think that was pretty much the standard. Medically trained doctor. I think it was just... But, yeah. Yeah. Just, just cut. I can't imagine that they had improved much since the Civil War. Well, this is before Civil War. This was right before. 
No, it was. You're right. Yeah. 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 So not good. Yeah. Medical practices are not good. Sorry, I forgot which time frame (laughs) we were talking about here, apparently. Yeah. They they own slaves, remember? (laughs) Yeah. So they decided not to get separated, but the twins would marry their ladies all the same. One more thing stood in the way of the marriage, though. Marriage between whites and non-whites was illegal. Chang and Aang, like I said, they're not white. Honorary whites. But they're not black. They're kind of honorary whites. So they decided to just pay the $1,000 fine up front each right before they got married and then just get married. Just had to pay a fine? Yeah. Huh. I think, you know, if it wasn't... They figured the fine was enough of a deterrent. Right, that if like they just paid that up front, then they wouldn't get arrested. In April of 1843, Chang married Adelaide and Aang married Sarah in a double wedding. In order to make the marriages work, they set up two separate households, one for Chang and Adelaide and the other for Aang and Sarah. They would spend three days and nights at one brother's house, and then they would go to the next brother's house for three days and three nights, and so on and so forth. Depending on whose house they were currently in depended on which brother was in charge of making decisions. If they were at Chang's house, and Chang and Adelaide wanted to go get it on, then Egg would just go into a meditative state while the married couple got busy, and then vice versa. Hmm. Just kind of close his eyes and... Um, and <laughs> wait for it all to be over. <laughs> I just wonder about the ladies that they're just like, your brother's right there. Yeah. Well, they married Siamese twins. I mean, they knew what they twins. were getting into. Yeah. I think they might have had a little bit of a, a kinky side, you could say. Probably. Yeah, they liked being watched or yeah. heard, potentially. <laughs> Chang and Adelaide ended up having 10 kids. While Aang, and, while Aang and Sarah had 11 kids. My goodness. So 21 kids total. My goodness. That's a lot of children. That's a lot of kids. They were getting, they were getting busy there's a Aang lot. Ch- there's Aang and Chang blood out there right now. Oh, yeah. Abraham Lincoln was... Because al- those 10 kids had 10 kids, and those 10 <laughs> kids had 10 kids, and so on, and so on. Abraham Lincoln was elected as president of the United States in 1860, and the Civil War broke out in 1861, when the southern states seceded from the Union. The twins sent two of their sons to go fight for the Confederacy, and converted all of their money into Confederate States dollars. They were all in. Wow. They were southern boys, through and through now. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, right? <laughs> That is a twist. Like, you guys aren't white. You were treated as slaves. Yeah. Now you're on this side? Now you're perpetuating that stance? Yeah. You hypocritical shitheads. Yeah. When the Confederacy was defeated, all of the twins' money was useless, and they were essentially broke. Because they made, they turned all their money into Confederate States dollars. Yes. And now that's not I worth anything. I would like anything. one million monopoly, <laughs> monopoly dollars. Exactly. They basically turned in all of their money for Monopoly dollars. That's who I wanted to be. I wanted to be the Confederate who was like, get your Confederate dollars here. <laughs> Give me that Yankee money. So he has like all, all of converted. his money. Yeah. 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 He literally robbed people. Yeah. The banks. Whichever banks it was. That's what we should do. Talk about money. Now? No. <laughs> yes, let's talk about our budget. 
I saw you spent $800 on Amazon. I mean, it happens. Yesterday. Don't come home until I put all the boxes away. <laughs> yeah. That's why we have so many boxes in the garage. So many boxes. But yes, eventually we will talk about money on this show. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about like the Confederate dollars, all the crazy two dollar bills for for how furs were used as money trade. Yeah. Bartering systems. Yeah. Dysentery. I'm down. Chang and Aang were forced to go back to touring to earn money to support their large families because they have twenty one kids and no money. <laughs> I don't even have that many fingers and toes. <laughs> All of them combined. The twins signed with P.T. Barnum for a month and were billed as an exhibition in Barnum's American Museum in New York City. After that, they traveled with a circus and toured across Europe. They would bring a couple of their children with them to help the kids see more of the world. So they'd be like, we're on tour. Come along, kids. And from everything I've read, it seems like they were good dads. Like, they love their kids. They always brought a few kids along with them, changed it up. They seemed like good dads, at least, even if they were slave-owning Confederate shitheads. In 1870... Which, I mean, at that point in time, they were law-abiding citizens, to an extent. Right. But still shitheads. Yes. <laughs> you, can, you can be a shithead and still follow the law. In 1870, Chang and Aang visited Germany and Russia. They wanted to keep exploring Europe, but tensions were rising amid a developing Franco-Prussian war, so they decided to head home. While on the ship back home, Chang, who was a heavy drinker, suffered a stroke and his right side became paralyzed. Aang would now have to drag his brother around everywhere they went. So Aang was on his left side? Yeah. Yeah. So just Aang. And it was like that for four years. Wow. Yeah. And so, then what? In January of 1874, Che contracted bronchitis. And did. <laughs> the family doctor recommended that the brothers stay indoors and rest. On January 15th, the brothers traveled through the cold to get to Ake's house so they could spend time with his family there. Early in the morning of January 17th, one of Aang's sons went to go check on his dad and uncle. He woke up his dad and told him, Uncle Chang is dead. Egg responded, then I am going. A few hours later, Egg was dead too. What? Probably from infection. Yeah, sepsis. Yeah, since, yeah. Chang's body, who's attached to him, is dying, and then they share blood, and mm -hmm. that's probably exactly what happened. Or he just also gave up because his brother that he's attached to, to yeah, is dead. Yeah. So, probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Their good friend, Jesse Franklin Graves, said of Aang, his kindness was received with the warmest appreciation by Chang, whose disposition was very different from the morose ill nature so falsely ascribed to him by the press. They had lived until the age of 62, which was the uh. longest known lifespan of any conjoined twins in history up until 2012. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. And to, for it to be in the 1800s. Yeah. A terrible time to be alive. Yeah. Medically speaking. But they made it pretty far. Like, 62 was a good age to make it when you were just your own person not attached to anybody else. Yeah, yeah. But you were a rich white man. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good age for a rich white dude. Yeah. Let alone in 
Asian immigrant attached uh, to your brother at the uh, chest. Siam? Siam? Siamese? Siam? 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 Siamese twin. <laughs> That's your turn. <laughs> Dang. That's all I gotta say. Dang. 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 Yeah. So even though Dang. even though they were poop heads, it's still impressive. Oh, you have a limit on the number of shitheads that you could say. Yeah, I was trying to I was trying to lower it. Oh. We don't have a limit, but <laughs> it felt like we were saying it a lot. Poop 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 head. <laughs> Their obituary was read in newspapers across the country and a public autopsy was performed on their bodies in Philadelphia. Doctors had promised Adelaide and Sarah that their bodies would re- would be returned to them intact. Instead, Sarah and Adelaide received the bodies with some of their internal organs removed. Chang and Aang's joint livers are still on display at Philadelphia's Mutter Museum, if you want to go look at it. Sarah and Adelaide buried the twins in a double-wide casket and placed them under a single headstone in a cemetery in Mount Airy, North Carolina. Just picture, I just picture like a double wide. But, but a casket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every summer, the bunkers host a family reunion in Mount Airy with hundreds of attendees. I think I saw the last one, there was 1,500 people that attended the bunker family reunion. What? So like you said, they've got a lot. A blood. A lot of blood out yeah. there. I'm excited to find out if I have any bunker blood in there. <laughs> you might. Chang and Aang's descendants have had some notoriety, too. Alex Sink, whose real first name is Adelaide, after her ancestor, was the Democratic nominee for governor of Florida in 2010. Caroline Shaw won the Pulitzer Prize for Music, and Caleb Haynes was a decorated veteran of both world wars. Hmm. Some of the twins' descendants wear shirts at the family reunion that read, Our family sticks together, with a picture of Egg and Chang on the back. <laughs> Another random fact, Mount Airy is the town that Mayberry from the Andy Griffith show is modeled after. Nice. So you can go to Mount Airy, you can go ride in the Mayberry police car, and there's like a whole bunch of buildings that are modeled after the show. Yeah. And it also has the Andy Griffith Museum. So if you go to So if you go to the Andy Griffith Museum, you yes. can go see all that stuff. And then if you go into the basement of the Andy Griffith Museum, there's an exhibition dedicated to Egg and Chang Bunker. My That's s- amazing. <laughs> We're going. It's kind of a bummer that they got put in the basement. Yeah. They should rotate it. I mean I love Andy Griffith. But they we, should I, rotate it. But they should they should put them up at, on the first floor. Bunkers, though. At least give them a, at least give them a quarter. Yeah. So my sources for this story were the lives of Chang and Egg, Siam's twins in nineteenth century America by Joseph Andrew Orser, Inseparable: The Original Siamese Twins and Their Rendezvous with American History by Yunte Huang, and Death of an American Story: Chang and Egg Bunker which is an excerpt from Mobituaries by Mo Rocca. Nice. Yeah. So, I think it's one of those cool stories that people are good, but they can also really suck. Yeah. But their then you can redeem life yourself. stories are still kind of cool. Yeah. So, thank you everybody for listening. If you would like to support this podcast, please go to patreon.com and search for America the Bazaar. The link is also in the show notes. 
please rate and review and subscribe wherever you listen to us. Also tell your friends. The more you tell people about us, the more listeners we get. And that is awesome. We also have merch on americathebazaar.com along with show notes and a way to contact us. And please contact us if you have corrections for any part of the story, if you have, like, family stories about things that have happened, if you're a bunker relative, we would love to hear about your family reunions yeah, or any stories that, like that you blast. might have. Yeah. yeah. I love a big family, so I'm kind of jealous. Of Absolutely. Yeah. So, also, yeah, if you or you, if you have future episode ideas, please send them to us, again, at americathebazaar.com. And until next time, stay, stay weird, America. America.